about Jesus is the truth. Now, interestingly enough, just a few weeks ago, Time Magazine put on the cover of their magazine a, a statement, and the statement was this, is truth dead? Is truth dead? Now, the article itself has to do with uh, President Trump and his uh, ability to tell truths and fibs and not quite know where he's at. Now, obviously, it's Time Magazine writing that article, and you can take all sorts of implications about that one way or another, about fake news and mass media and whatever. The interesting thing about it is the question, is truth dead? And what they chose to do, most interestingly, I think to me, is emulate and imitate almost 50 years to the day a cover that they had had in 1966. And now that cover was this, is God dead? They used the same exact font, the same exact layout, the same indentions, everything. So that when people saw it, especially if they had seen that iconic cover, is God dead, they would have referred to that cover in their mind. I know I did, not that I've seen it in 1966, but I've seen it later in life. Now the interesting thing about that is they were equating the idea that God and truth were somehow matched up. Now, I don't know that they knew that that's what they were doing, but by reminiscing about that cover, is God dead? With is truth dead? Somehow, some way, in the back of their mind, somewhere deep in their heart, was an understanding that there must be something similar about those two statements. In the 1990s, and there was a show called X-Files. I don't know if you saw X-Files. It was about uh, paranormal activity and unexplainable mysteries and FBI agents who were trying to figure out what was going on. But one of the things that was put across the screen in the opening credits is that the truth is out there. It's not that we knew what the truth was, it's not that we could identify the truth, but somehow we knew that the truth was out there. Today is Palm Sunday. We're celebrating Palm Sunday. This passage of scripture that we're really digging into over the next few weeks and, and last week has to do right after Palm Sunday, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and letting them know this is what's happening. It's right before his arrest. So he's arrested, he's taken before Pilate, and, and Pilate has a conversation with Jesus in John 18. It's recorded for us. Listen to what happens. Pilate says to him, Am I a Jew? This is starting in verse 35. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? 
When we go into this place where we see Jesus say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he has answered that question already for Pilate and for all of us. He has said, I am the truth. Truth is this God-ordained, created, designed order that is revealed and experienced through Christ. Let me say that again. Truth is God's ordained, created, and designed order that is revealed and experienced through Christ. It's not just about having the right thought. That if I have the right doctrine and the right thoughts and the right sort of mental scheme, or as Harry Blamiers put it, if I have a Christian mind, then I will have figured everything out. That I will know the truth, and the truth will set me free. It's not just about having a good Christian mind. Nor is it just about having a subjective feeling. Saying, well, this is truth to me. I I feel like this is correct or right, or it seems to work for me. So it must be the truth. Jeremiah reminds us that our hearts are deceitful that they can turn on itself very quickly. And so we shouldn't always trust our own subjective feelings. So what is truth? Jesus answers for us, right? Jesus says, I am truth. That it's the God-ordained, created, designed order. What is that? To have right relationship with God, right relationship with ourselves. Right relationship with others and right relationship with place. That God knows exactly who we are and how we should be and how we should operate and what our relations should look like. He knows how we should be loved and how we should be known and how we should be understood. Why? Because he's the one who created it, founded it, formed it, commissioned it, and moved it out. That's why John records for us Jesus saying, I am the truth. Before that, in John 1, 14, he tells us that the Word became flesh. Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of God, full of grace and truth. That there is something deep within us, whether we are followers of Christ or not followers of Christ, that equate God with truth. That there is something beyond us and further than us. But what has happened maybe in the world today is we have taken this idea of truth and we've wanted to make it a little bit more understanding to us because in some ways it's a mystery. And so we've made it subjective somehow to our own understanding and our own feelings. And I think a better word for that is true. True. There are things within you, within your life experience, within things that you've learned, things that have happened to you, that are true to you. They cannot be denied. Where you're born, how you're raised, your heritage, the legacy that comes into you, the education that you receive, they all build into you things that are true, that you begin to understand and you begin to operate in the world and see it. And nobody can look at you and say, well, that's not true. Well, I was was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Oh, that's not true. Yes, it is true. That's where I was born. Oh, well, you were born in the consciousness of God somewhere. Well, that might be true as well, but I was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. 
that's true. But somehow we have elevated our own experiences and our own understanding of our true above the truth. And what the truth comes in to do is confront it. Pilate, maybe, instead of saying, well, what is truth, was more taken aback by Jesus and saying, what is truth? Because when we experience truth, it is confrontational. It comes to us and it makes us evaluate the true that we have. And when truth comes in on us, it makes us do one of three things, really, with what is true to us. It either makes us retire what is true to us, or reform what is true to us, or rejoice in what is true to us. Interestingly enough, that probably happened among different people in different ways on Palm Sunday. If you've ever been in church, you've probably heard about Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is when Jesus comes in on a donkey full and they're laying down palm trees in the city of Jerusalem singing Hosanna and praise to him as king. Now within that place of a people who were there giving glory and honor to Jesus, there were those who were his disciples who had had their true aligned with the truth that in fact he was the king, that in fact he was the Messiah, that he is the promised one of God. And so their true, this hope that they had had to have a Messiah, had already been rejoicing about the fact that there was truth. There were those who were there who probably thought, we want a Messiah, we need to see a Messiah, and that's true. But they didn't know what it would look like or what it would be, and when they saw Jesus come in and they began to worship him, something happened, and their idea, because maybe they thought that he was going to come in with a stallion and come in and take over Rome, but they see him come in on this lowly donkey and their true is aligned and reformed to the truth of who Jesus is. And then there were those who had to have it completely taken away. That there was no way in their minds that Jesus was the Messiah at all. Could never be the Messiah. Think about the Pharisees who were there. But Jesus says, no, by coming in, he shows that he's the Messiah. So what does it look like in that confrontation with true and truth? I want to go to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to show you what it looks like for it to be retired, for our true to be retired. I mean, put away, dismissed, done away with. Dismissed actually might be a better word, but it doesn't start with an R, and I wanted to have three R's. So Mark chapter 2 says this. Starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he and those who were with him, how they entered into the house of God... And they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even 
of the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees at that time had built a system, an understanding, a thing that was true to them. That by obeying God's law, it gained righteousness for us. That by following a pattern and a a set of rules, that somehow that made me better than all those around me. That somehow that made me more special to God. And so while they were watching the disciples break this code of conduct that they had, they had neglected to understand that God, when he gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't give them to be oppressive, he gave them to bring freedom. And so Jesus looks at them and says, no, your true must be dismissed. It must be retired. Until you know exactly what the truth is. The truth is, I am Lord of the Sabbath. The truth is that I am Sabbath rest. The truth is is that I'm the one who completely fulfills the law of God and brings complete freedom. And so your little system falls short. Now, sadly, we usually, those of us who are followers of Jesus, read about the Pharisees and go, whew, thank goodness we're not like them. But the reality is, oftentimes, we are. Oftentimes, we build up in our experiences, in our knowledge, in our life, in the way that we've always done church, a true. And we have to have that true meet the truth of Jesus. And when it does, it could be retired. It might mean that it had nothing to do with the truth at all, but somehow it was so true to us, right? And it's painful, and it's hard, and it makes us, quite honestly, want to crucify somebody. That's what they did to Jesus, because they were so tired of their true not aligning with the truth, so tired of it being retired, because it was so good and so important and so easy for them to do. So when we experience truth as Jesus, sometimes our true has to be retired. What does that look like for you? What are those things, your experiences, your knowledge, your life that are so true to you that maybe need to be retired? Don't fear it. There are things that are there. When they experience the truth of God, they should be put away. The second thing that happens when we experience truth is sometimes our true just needs to be reformed or brought into the right place with the true, realign itself with the true. We have some indication or understanding of what the truth is, but it's gotten sort of muddled with our experiences and with our lives and the things that have become more comfortable to us kind of what happened to the Samaritan woman that we find in John chapter 4. Here's Jesus who says, I am the truth, and he comes and he has a confrontation with her. I understand Jesus' confrontations are very comforting and caring and loving, but it's still confrontational. (laughs) Listen to what happens. He comes and he asks her for a drink, and they get into an understanding or a, a, a talk about worship. Jesus says to her, uh, I want you to sell, he tells her that he is, um, uh, everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I am giving them will never thirst again. And she says, give me that water. And he says, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says, well, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the person you're living with now is not your husband. That's confrontational, right? 
what you've said is true. That's what he tells her. What you've said is true. You don't have a husband right now. You've had five, and then you're living with somebody, right? <laughs> and the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. True, but not the truth. Who's the truth? He's the Messiah. And she says, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, her true was aligned with the truth in knowing that as a people, we are created for worship. She knew, even though she had had five husbands and one husband, which we in our minds would often say, well, that discounts you from really knowing this stuff. Wow. That's a true that needs to be let go of, right? No one's discounted. Christ is the one who brings the truth to them. She says, I, I know I'm supposed to worship. Now, maybe she's dodging a little bit here, but that's okay, because it reveals her heart. And she says, here's true. This is true to me. I know I'm supposed to worship. And Jesus knows that she knows she's supposed to worship. But what he does is he takes her worship, and he gives her the truth, and it transforms it. It changes it. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him with spirit and in truth. And then at that she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. She's beginning to see her. Her true is beginning to transform. It's beginning to reform. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am him. And her life has changed. She's no longer worried about, is this the right mountain or is that the wrong mountain? She's no longer worried about saying what's true to her. I don't have a husband right now. She goes to tell the people, he told me everything about me. And they're all like, "Woo! <laughs> you didn't try to hide any of that? I did, but he knew. <laughs> Why? Because when we experience the truth, it can reform our true and make it true. She knew that her heart needed to worship God in spirit and in the truth. She knew that she had been created for worship and that she was standing before the object of that worship who was giving her entrance into God. So, we either retire our true, we have it reformed, or a really cool thing is it just gets celebrated. It's rejoiced about. Matthew 16 tells us this amazing thing. Jesus is sitting there, he's dealing with his disciples, these men who are around him, and starting at verse 13 it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, Peter somehow knew the truth. Who do you say that I am? You are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus hears the truth that is aligned with his true, see, his true had become truth. He was looking for the Messiah all along. He'd been called by this guy and had been walking with him and seeing him teach and learn. And slowly but surely, this true about what the Messiah was going to be began to transform into seeing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. It was reformed, and then as it was reformed, it's proclaimed. And when it's proclaimed, when we see the truth of God proclaimed, it is rejoiced. He says, Praise the Lord, you are Peter. On you I will build my church. On this proclamation that I am the Son of God, that I am the Christ. It's celebrated. This affects us personally. It affects us relationally. It affects us corporately. Personally, it means that in all my interactions with everybody that I am with, I don't have to prove that I'm right and that somebody else is wrong. Because it could just be my true versus their true. And what we should be submitted to is the truth of Jesus. What I should be seeking is to know, is this something within me that's true that needs to be put away? Is it something that needs to be reformed? Or is it something that needs to be celebrated? Quite honestly, it makes our relationship with people who are seeking after Jesus, it makes our relationship with people who have no clue who Jesus is a lot more fun. Because we're not worried if they're thinking bad thoughts or doing bad things. What we want to see happening in our own lives and in theirs is a movement to have their true Submitted to the truth. To be overcome in this comforting confrontation. Where they can see Jesus when he says, I am the truth. It affects us relationally in that way. It affects us personally where we really are able to step into a place of repentance so much easier. Why? Well, because unless my true aligns with the truth, it's something I need to repent of. And how often during the days is the thing that creeps up when I get in arguments or misunderstandings or I become uh, a, a little harsh with people because things aren't going my way. See, the trueness of my heart is that I'm worth it. I'm better. You should listen to me. But once it gets submitted to the truth, well, you know what? I am worth it. There's a little bit of truth in that. Why? Well, because Jesus loves me but I'm not worth it that much. <laughs> I'm not the only one that he loves. And so as I submit it, it opens my eyes to repentance. It opens my heart to be able to say, please forgive me. I was placing myself above Jesus and above you. Corporately, we are that way. Corporately, we should be moving in such a form and fashion that we're always looking 
to make sure that what we do and how we act and programs we develop all align with the truth of God, of proclaiming Jesus as Christ. And so some things have to go away. Now, they might have been good and right and do good things, and they're true to us. But they have to go away. Some things need to be reformed and repackaged and redesigned and re-understood as it submits to the truth. Don't get worried. <laughs> it's not like it's going to come really fast because we've got to figure it out together. But here's the beauty of it. We see in this rejoicing passage of Peter what it is that helps us move, helps us get aligned with the truth. Did you catch it? He says this, Blessed are you, Peter, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Oh, how glorious! It's not up to me! <laughs> I'm not the one that has to figure out how this works! Oh, that's so relieving because I'm dense. I, I will struggle. I will add all sorts of stuff on top of it that have been true to me all along, thinking, well, that's the truth. Oh, how glorious that the Father says, no, I will reveal it to you. I will bring it through my word, through the body, through working together. I will reveal my truth to you, and you will know it. And as Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Now, one of the scary things for us is this. And, and I, I have to say, I really want to take our worship folders back and get reimbursed for them because they weren't done correctly. But I've used them like four times now after finding out about this at 9 o'clock. And uh, I, I, I maybe have gotten too much traction out of it to really say, well, they weren't of use for us. <laughs> the bulletin, when I picked it up, looked exactly right. The back looked right. Front looked right. Saw them there in the box. I'd seen the example. The example was right. I looked down. Yep, that's good. Took them, walked away. Didn't think about them. All day yesterday. All day today. Until I opened it up. Somebody opened it up actually for me. <laughs> and said, ah... That's how we are. We're so sure that our true is the truth. And it's so good that God gives us his scripture and each other as the body of Christ to step in and point to the truth. To say, here it is. So, for those of us who have been journeying a long time in this walk, and maybe you're only a few steps along the way. Know that we together are discovering the truth of who Jesus is. If you're here and you're just starting, or not even sure that this is a journey you want to get on, just ask, what is truth? I can assure you that time is wrong. Truth is not dead. We'll celebrate that next week. Because truth is risen. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. You give us your glory, your 
honor, your truth. Jesus, you are truth. Help us align to that truth. Spirit, reveal that to us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to